Welcome back to DQP Does, Draft Recorders Podcast Network Movie Review Show, where we, with me this evening is my co-host Russell, and we have special guest Clayton. If you haven't guessed this week, we are continuing uh, A24 until the strike ain't no more with Hereditary. (laughs) Hereditary from 2018, rated R, two hours and seven minutes of stuff. Grieving. Lots of grieving. Uh... This this one sentence synopsis on IMDb is perfect. A grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences. Uh, <laughs> so grandma dies and then mom uh, sees her in the dark. Woo, spooky. And then... Uh, uh, she's like kind of half sad, half like, ah, oh, man, my mom's finally dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> she goes to like a grieving group to try and like, you know, talk about it. And you hear some backstory about how her mom was like crazy and her dad was crazy and her brother was crazy. Um, <laughs> and you're like, man, is, is mom crazy too? Uh, no, surely not. Uh, <laughs> like that's a lot of, that's a lot of family hi- hereditary history of, uh, <laughs> 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 um, of, of, uh, mental illness, like very severe mental illness. We're talking like, uh, DID and, uh, uh, d- what, what was schizophrenia and, uh, what was dad had like crazy depression Starved himself. He starved himself, but she said that he yeah, had he was like, really depressed, like but fatally depressed or something. I mean, when your wife's trying to bring back like, one of the kings of hell and, uh, Oh, whoa, 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 we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> you get depressed. Yeah, I guess. Um, so, uh, yeah. So she's like, not sure if she's upset about her mom being dead or not. Um, she has, uh, two kids. Uh, an older boy uh, that's in high school. I don't know how old he's supposed to be, like 17, 18, probably. Um, uh, that kid is clearly like 26. Well, yeah, but he's supposed to be like 17 or 18. I thought he was in college. I think he's actually supposed to be like 15 or 16. And he wasn't 26. He was like 20 or 21. Is he really supposed to be like... He's got to be at least 16 because he drove yeah, he around has his with his sister. Yeah. But I don't think he's like a senior or anything. Okay. I mean, he was driving illegally. I mean, he was because he was high, but uh, (laughs) driving under the influence. That's illegal. Um, I don't know the fucking rules of of driving as a as a a young adult. I didn't get my license till I was 19, but we can talk about that later. Um, So. Uh, yeah, stuff happens. Um, there's a party. Son is, is awkward, wants to hit on this chick. Uh, so he goes to the party. What's his name? His name's Peter. Um, so mom, Annie is like, take your sister. 
And I is she supposed she's supposed to be like special ed, right? Kinda. Like there's something she's wrong with her. Unique. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's not like she doesn't seem like she's in like special ed classes, but she's I thought that was definitely a special ed class that she was in. They only show her in the classroom like the one time. I just think she's a little different. I mean, she's at the very least she's autistic. Oh, yeah. But I mean, they put autistic kids in special ed because they don't know how to handle them because public schools suck. They're probably smarter than the teachers, but that doesn't matter because they don't know how to deal with it. (laughs) Anyway, it doesn't matter. She's not in the movie for that long. So mom makes Annie makes Peter take uh, take Charlie to the uh, to the party. And uh, early on, you find out that Charlie is uh, allergic to peanuts or to nuts in general. Chekhov's nut allergy. Yeah, Chekhov's nut allergy. Uh She's eating a chocolate bar at the funeral of her grandmother, and Dad's like, hey, there aren't any nuts in that, are there? She's like, no. He's like, good. And then Mom's like, there aren't any nuts in that, are there? And he's like, no, I already asked. Uh, good, because we don't have the EpiPen. Because, you know, as responsible parents, you go anywhere without your child's fucking EpiPen. <sighs> anyway, we know they're not responsible parents. Um... She forces her teenage son to take her not teenage daughter, who is also special. <laughs> if she's not, if she's not, you know, downs or whatever, she's at least <laughs> autistic. And he makes, she makes, she him, sure as fucking up. So <laughs> Jesus, she'll be about six feet under here in a second. Uh, <laughs> most of her will be, um, <laughs> So she makes him take uh, this like 12 year old. She was 12, 13. 13. She was 13, 13 year old to a high school party. And she knows that there will be drinking because she's like, you won't be drinking. And he's like, we're not 21. He's he gives the teenager excuse. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not 21. We couldn't get drinks if we wanted to. And she's like, that's that wasn't the question. It's a high school party. There will be drinks there. You're not drinking. Right. And he's like, well, that's no, why she sent the sister. Yeah. To make sure. So dumb. Take a 13 year old to a high school party. Everybody's drinking. Somebody is wantonly chopping walnuts. Just like (laughs) fucking like a like that's like they were aggressively chopping those nuts. I've been to a lot of high school parties. Have you guys ever been to a high school party where they were like literally baking a cake to the extent of like we're going to chop nuts aggressively? No, 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 no. We went to the gas station to steal stuff real quick and then go back to the party. Yeah, like I don't know what's up with this bougie ass high school party. There might be some like pizzas that they specifically picked up and not. Not had delivered so that nobody knew that there was anyone there having a high school party, you know, so like some four hour old pizza. But like, that's the extent of the spread. I know. I'm like, my high school, high school party never had fucking homemade cake. Yeah. No way in hell. Like, no, no. Uh, <laughs> brownies, but they weren't regular ass <laughs> brownies. Right. Uh, so. So somebody's making a cake with nuts in it. And, uh, and Peter's like, Hey, I'm going to go smoke some weed with this girl. You should stay here. And she's like, no, I'm, I, I don't know any of these people and I'm autistic. What the fuck? 
are you stupid? And he's like, no, nah, just stay here. I'm, I'm trying to get laid. <laughs> so he goes in this room with the girl and then is surprised that there's like two other people in there. Cause that's not, she wanted your weed, not your dick. So he's like, whatever, I guess I'll smoke these people out. And he tells Charlie to have a piece of cake because he sees the cake. And he's like, hey, chocolate, you love chocolate? Go have some chocolate because you're a dog. I'm just going to shoo you away and go bother those other people. Um, And like a dog, she's allergic to something that's in this cake. <laughs> that happens to be the, the nuts that were being aggressively chopped. <laughs> so she interrupts his good time right after he takes a fat rip off a bong. Uh, and she's like, I can't breathe. And he's like, oh, fuck. Peanuts. It wasn't peanuts, but um, so walnuts, he's, I believe. Yeah, walnuts. <laughs> I think walnuts or pecans. They kind of look the same. Um, walnuts are more brainy than pecans. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you wouldn't put pecans in a chocolate cake, though. Walnuts. I mean, make more I, sense. probably fine. It probably tastes fine, especially like candied ones. I mean, I feel like maybe they shouldn't have put any nuts. Yeah, and the cage yeah, wouldn't have lost her head because <laughs> well, it's also a high school party, so like she probably wasn't the only one there with a nut allergy. Yeah, yeah, because everybody's allergic to nuts now. Um, mm, as long as there wasn't gluten. I mean, it's a cake, so probably <laughs> it was probably also poorly baked because they're high school students that are drunk. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't burn it. Uh, anyway, anyway. So he's like, oh, fuck, I got to haul ass out of here and take my little sister to the hospital. And he just took a fat rip off that bong. So he's like a little he's not. He, it's not because he was high that he has this accident. Yeah. So he's driving. Although we don't endorse driving under the influence. No. Yeah, uh, but, but that's what are you going to do about fate? Not explicitly <laughs> what the uh, the problem here. But anyway, <coughs> he's driving his sisters in the back, freaking out. Uh, thanks for coughing over this. I'm going to have a hell of a time editing. I'm just going to leave it and fuck you. Um, it's because we're talking about. <laughs> I've developed a nut allergy. <laughs> yeah. You're taking lung damage. Um, <laughs> At least it's not neck damage. Uh, uh, anyway. Yeah, that's coming. <laughs> so she jokes. Can we fit in the I beginning? Don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to get there. Uh, so she can't breathe. So she like opens the window and sticks her head out and he keeps looking back. She's like, he's like, are you okay? We're going almost to the hospital. And then, uh, it, there's suddenly a dead animal in the road and he swerves to miss it right as they pass the one fucking telephone pole on that road. And <laughs> literally, <laughs> yeah. And she's obviously sticking her head out the same side as that one telephone pole on that fucking road. And he whacks her head on that telephone pole and decapitates his sister. Unlike every action movie you've seen. Yeah. So uh, I saw this in theaters with my buddy James. <laughs> the silence <laughs> in that room when that happened. Everyone was acting like Peter, right? They're just like. Yeah. It was just like, did, did, did that really just happen? Holy <laughs> shit. And it's great because all of the advertisements were like completely centered around Charlie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was the best part of the movie. Uh, so, so Charlie gets decapitated. Peter freaks out because he just took a hit off that fat bong. Fat hit off that little ball. I don't know. I was trying to say something there and I fucked it up, but it's fine. Moving on. Uh, 
So instead of like <laughs> calling the police and fessing up to like accidentally killing his sister, because it was an accident. It wasn't yeah. like malicious. All of this was <clears throat> an accident. He just goes home with the, most of his sister in the backseat. <laughs> And leaves her there and goes to bed. Catatonic as fuck. Yeah. And is woken up by his mom. Well, not woken up. He's still awake. He's just laying there staring at the wall. His mom goes down to go buy some crafts because she's the worst mini painter ever. Uh, (laughs) Jesus Christ. How about some contrast, lady? Um, (laughs) Uh... She goes down to go to the hobby store, not Hobby Lobby, because they'd probably have to pay and like Hobby Lobby wouldn't let them put the put them in a movie where a king of hell is summoned later. Uh, that that'd be a pretty good trick, though, if they could get him to do it. Be fucking hilarious. But she goes to this hobby store that is strangely has orange and white uh, uh, branding. Um, and she goes to go there and uh, finds her daughter's decapitated body in the back seat. <laughs> uh, and we fast forward through fits of Tony Collette just dying, crying, uh, both in their bedroom and then at the funeral and then after the funeral. And then she falls asleep and everybody leaves the wake or whatever they were doing at the house. Um, uh, so now she's actually sad about a death. <laughs> and, and then uh, so she eventually goes to go to that uh, uh, Grievers Anonymous meeting again. And uh, she gets stopped because she she stops in front. She parks in the same spot she did. And then she's like, "Nah, I can't talk about this. She goes to leave. And this lady comes up and stops her. And she talks to this lady. Her name's Joan. And uh, who she played by? And Dowd. And Dowd. And Dowd. You always know something's yeah, she, up when she shows up. Oh yeah, she's she's a fucking. There's something where she's just like a huge cunt, and I can't Which remember. Thing. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> yeah, I mean, the leftovers comes to mind. Leftovers. That might have been it. I don't remember. Ah, leftovers is good, but uh, uh. Her and the lady that's in the mist that's the religious zealot always play that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but anyway, she's like, hey, you know, if you ever need to talk, this is my address. She doesn't give her her phone number. She gives her a fucking address. Uh, and Annie's kind of ignores it and she leaves. Uh, weird shit continues to happen to them. Not that weird, but kind of weird stuff. Uh, mom describes how she had a she used to sleepwalk and she woke up mid trying to set her and her kids on fire uh, which that's pretty cool and that's why her son doesn't trust her anymore because they all woke up at the same time <laughs> yeah <laughs> as she was striking a match and like had covered them all in paint in <laughs> that's some shit dude <laughs> that's some intense shit uh but uh she eventually goes to see this Joan lady she sees that she has a floor mat that 
reminds her of the floor mats that, or welcome mat that reminds her of the welcome mats her mom used to embroider. And she's like, oh, that's weird. I don't know your mom. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they have a conversation and then she leaves. Uh, and then she runs into her again after some other stuff happens that I don't remember. Uh, and she's like, I had this crazy experience where I went, talked to a medium and they, we summoned my dead grandson and talked to him. And, and he's like, what the fuck ever? Shut up, bitch. She's like, no, really, you got to come over and I'll, I'll show you. So she goes to this lady's house. And she does some kind of parlory trick stuff. But. Uh, there's no parlor tricks to it. Because she does like the glass moving thing where both people have their hand on it when somebody, the person that's doing the thing is moving it, you know, that's how you uh, quantify it when you're trying to continue being skeptical about it. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. But then she like. Does the chalkboard thing, the chalkboard thing, like really throws Annie because it's like. She puts a piece of chalk on a chalkboard and sets it on the table and then it like writes out, I love you, grandma. And she's like, what the fuck? And she's freaking out. But Joan gives her the paper to summon a fucking spirit. <laughs> it's like, just light this candle and say these words and it'll bring the spirit right to you. You'll get to it's talk great. to your daughter. It's great. It's, it's so much fun. Uh, <laughs> so then she goes home and she tracks it. She's like, oh, and wakes everybody up at like five in the morning and goes to show them the shit. And it does more poltergeisty shit than doing what she saw at the other lady's house. You know, the little candle flares up, some shit breaks, um, you know, so on and so forth. And then we basically get like some haunting stuff going on. There's like a bug thing, nightmare sleepwalking episode that she has. Um Peter keeps seeing weird lights that Charlie saw before she died. Um, uh, and he has like a nightmare of somebody trying to rip his head off, but he thinks it's his mom. Cause she happens to be in his room when he wakes up from the nightmare, but she says she heard him screaming and she came there. So it's kind of up in the air. What happened there? Um, eventually, Annie completely falls off the deep end. Um, and she needs to burn this uh, sketchbook because she keeps finding it being sketched in. And it's just sketches of Peter's head being ripped off and his eyes crossed out. And she thinks that it's Charlie trying to get revenge for Peter killing her. So she thinks if she burns the book, it will stop Charlie. And she tried to burn it, but it set her on fire. So she goes, she's like, obviously, when I throw this on the fire, it's going to set me on fire. I can't do it. So she tries to get her husband, who's basically done nothing this whole time. Um, uh, Steve, played by Gabriel Byrne. And I love Gabriel Byrne. Playing the traditional wife character. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh she gives him the book and she's like you have to throw it in the fire. I can't do it and like I'm going to die but I just, I just save Peter that's I'm willing to do it. 
So she gives it to him and he like walks halfway to the fireplace that she's already lit. And, and he's like, I can't do this anymore. You, you need help. I'm going to like have you committed. She's like, what the fuck? So she takes it, takes the book and throws it in the fire. But instead of her getting engulfed in flames, he gets engulfed in flames. And then she gets possessed, which happened once before when she first uh, summoned the spirit uh, when she's trying to show the guys. Um, it's like not working out the way she wanted. And then she like gets possessed and freaks them out and they throw some cold water on her and she comes to. So she gets possessed after uh, Steve gets engulfed in flames. And then uh, it's Peter's turn. Peter had a bad day at school. Uh, headbutted his desk you know, <laughs> a few times. And they sent him home. So he's been asleep all day. So he wakes up in the middle of the night. Goes looking for mom and dad. Can't find him. Goes downstairs. The fucking downstairs is wrecked. And then he finds like a burnt corpse. And like the whole time he's walking around the house, you keep seeing Tony Collette like spider man into the corner of the ceiling behind him. <laughs> <laughs> and he like goes to look and she like scurries across the wall into the and through the door into the hallway. And you're like, what the fuck? So he goes downstairs and he finds his dad and it like kind of pans down from the uh to where like you're looking up from the dad's corpse and pans up uh, Peter's body and in this really uh, high ceilinged room kind of like the room we're in um, yeah look in the corners guys <laughs> Tony, <laughs> Tony <Gillette? laughs> are you in here <laughs> uh, she's like up in the corner behind him and he hears a noise but he turns the other way and you you see that the She's gone, but then there's like a naked guy standing there. And the whole movie. Yeah, sorry for showing up naked guys. I thought, <laughs> thought, thought it was a different kind of party. Hereditary. <laughs> uh so, so like the whole movie, there have been these weird people in the background, like smiling or just like looking at people and waving and shit. Um, and it turns out it's like this cult. And they uh, spook Peter, and then he sees his mom chasing after him like a demon, and he runs away. And they had found uh, Steve and uh, Anne had found her mom's corpse in the attic, so the attic like ladder is still down. So he runs up the stairs, goes into the attic. And closes it behind him, and his mom is like Spider Man to the ceiling, banging her head on the door to the attic to try and get in. And he's like finding all the horrors that are ha that have happened up in the the attic. He like sees like the, where Grandma's body was, but it's not there anymore. But the, like the the decay shadow is there. Um, which those are gross. You ever seen like photos of that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's yeah, nasty. It's pretty nasty. Like, I'm glad I don't have to be there after I die. To clean that shit up. It's gross. Um, but uh, uh, you see, you keep seeing like naked people standing in the background, <laughs> and uh, then 
they kind of they chase him. I think. Oh, he sees his mom. His mom is in the attic suddenly, and she's like cutting her own head off, like levitating in the middle of the fucking attic. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? And then somebody chases him and he jumps out the window. And then the weird light that you keep seeing like goes into him and then he gets up and he stands up and he sees some people standing around and then he sees his mom's decapitated corpse float up into the treehouse outside. So he climbs up there and there's a bunch of naked people and people in robes and they're like, oh yeah, you're the host of Paymon. The king, one of the kings of hell, and you're gonna get us all this stuff. And they put a crown on him, and his decapitated the t- decapitated corpses of his mom and grandma are bowing to him. And that's the end of the movie. Yep. Uh, so why does Steve catch on fire? To get him out of the way. Yeah. Everything that happened in it was pretty much faded. Yeah. It's what? Oh, faded? faded. Yeah. Uh, oh. Okay, I guess that makes more sense. Yeah, it's basically just like uh, extended like <clears throat> prophecy ritual to bring Paymon to Earth. Right. So yeah. isn't that what the cult's doing is they're trying to bring him to earth? Yeah, but prophecies so like I mean that's where you started getting into like weird, you know, are prophecies like like antithesis to free will or is free will um like are you deciding whether or not to fulfill prophecies? And yeah. does it give you meaning to fulfill prophecies? Which is like sort of what the cult is trying to do. So so with Steve catching on fire, was there any like did I I thought I missed something on like why he would catch on fire when it showed earlier that she's trying to burn it and she catches on fire and she's ultimately the one that still threw it in the fire. So why does he catch on fire? Because it wasn't time yet. Yeah. Like everything in it, for instance, uh, one of the scenes where Peter's in class near the beginning of the film, what they're talking about is if it's more tragic, if it's fate, or if they had any choice in it. Choice in it, yeah. Yeah. Which is really the whole entire thing. And I mean, the grandma and the people, they'd been working on this for years and years and years, even when Tony Collette's character was a kid. That's the reason her brother ended up killing himself because she was yep. trying to use him as a host for payment. Yep. And they'd been doing this for years and years and years. And then they tried to get Charlie, but payment prefers a male male body. And so all of this stuff had been planned out. And that's why she wanted Charlie to be a boy. And even like the telephone post that Charlie's head gets knocked off. It's yeah. a really quick, really quick frame. But it has when they're the passing, yeah, it's got the symbol in there. So it's like everything was faded and set up. They had no way of... His teachers were in the cult, too. They're, like, standing outside naked at the end. Oh, that's who that was. Yeah, that's the one and that, like, like all nods. the people at the grandma's funeral okay. and everybody. 
Yeah, I knew it was like a big conspiracy thing. But I mean, I'm still out. That still doesn't explain why he catches on fire. It's just a timing thing, and it was all controlled by Paymon, right? Yeah. So he he catches him on fire? Yeah, because he's going to possess Colette until she can transfer it to... Peter. Peter. It was yeah. just like all this stuff had to happen in this way for them to get what they wanted, which was Peter. Yeah. And his family out of the way. Okay. Because it had to like weaken Peter emotionally. Right. right. Get him to a state where he could be possessed. Right. Isolate mm-hmm. him. Right. right. But uh, Annie was already there so they could use her to further everything else along. So when she needed a gentle nudge to not burn the book, it that set her on fire. Gentle nudge. Yeah. Hmm. When it could have like completely engulfed her and killed her. Instead, it was like, hey, you're on fire. You should probably knock that shit off, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, it makes sense. I just don't think it was that good. I like, I like the shock of Charlie dying that early. And like, kind of like setting all that stuff up and everything being like foreshadowed and stuff and like talk, like the meta of them talking about something that's talking about the, the tragedy of the story and shit. Like that's, that's decent writing, but I didn't, I wasn't like excited about it in any way. I was just like, okay, cool. I was just really mild about everything. The movie was real mid, bruh. <laughs> I I Shut disagree, but I'll get into that. No, Russell, what would you think of it? So I hated this movie. Like, so, thanks for filling me in. <laughs> so, <laughs> I hated this. Okay. Succinct to the point. I like it. I thought, so I thought there was going to be something cool with the dollhouse. And then there wasn't anything cool with the dollhouse. So I watched her paint all this stuff. Poorly. Poorly. <laughs> For no reason. So that was okay. like... Hold on. I gotta... I, I've i been talking a lot about mini painting in the last like six months, so I gotta fucking do... I gotta do this right now, because you're talking about it. She's painting like... Like, four inch... I don't even know what the millimeters <laughs> or what fucking scale that is. She's painting like... Like, G.I. Joe-sized miniatures... Yeah. Like you paint like 15 millimeter fin- miniatures, like stuff that is a fraction of that size. Like she's painting like train set people quality <laughs> on something that's like a hundred times the size. Yeah. <laughs> she fucking sucks. And she has a goddamn like art showing like she built all the dollhouse stuff. But like, does she does she have an art showing? She has like never going to happen. Phone calls. <laughs> she was going to have one. Or is she insane? I don't know. No, because yeah, I get what you're saying though. Steve says something about hey the the art people called. And they wanted to know. Something. Oh yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. If it was just phone calls that she got, then I, and like notes that yeah. she was leaving herself, I would buy that, and that would make the movie more interesting. Yeah. But no, other people were involved in that fantasy. If it was a fantasy, so yeah. They're, yeah. 
Yeah, you sorry, I'm, on the I'm painting. done. Yeah, okay. that's fucking she's so, shit. Yeah, so I thought the dollhouse was going to mean something. And then when she's like mimicking all the the curses onto the dollhouse and stuff. Yeah. I thought it was going to come back around to where it was like, like she was the progenitor of everything that has happened to her. Mm. And I was like, Oh, that's like a cool idea. And then I, we got this and I, I don't, I don't know. I, I mostly thought it was boring. There's like mm-hmm. a few good scenes. Yeah. So like the kid, getting her head knocked off was like wild and unexpected. But then I also feel like that created a problem with the pacing because then I was like, Oh shit, what happens next? And then nothing Nothing. really happens next until the end. And then the end happens. And I was like, where was all this lore the whole time I was watching the movie? And like, she like flips through a book Right, and you like get some of it, and it kind of like highlights. It literally highlights stuff for you. (laughs) So like, there's like a little bit of it, but and then I was I don't know. I was just mostly like bored. I guess I didn't think this was an interesting way to tell the story. Yeah, I think the culty stuff is too dribbled in in the first like two thirds of the movie. Yeah, like, and then it like. They just want to force feed it to you at in the, the third end. act. Yeah. Well, not even the third act, like the end, the of, end the of the third, third act. act, basically. Yeah. So like, and then my other, my other problem with the movie, I guess is like the whole fate thing because like, I didn't understand why he got caught on fire. And cause literally I was just like, what the fuck just happened? That doesn't make any sense with the rules that you've established in the movie. And then, so like if the Paimon dude was there the whole time, like doing stuff, like I also don't feel like that that makes sense that he needed a cult to bring him in. It's like, I, I don't, I don't know. I just hated the way the story was told. So I think the reason that that happened that way was because, um, they, one, she had already started working on Charlie, even though she was a girl. Because they needed somebody after Annie's brother died, right? Yeah. And they had wanted her to be a boy, but it also talks about how Grandma, like, doted on Charlie, right? Yeah. So she was part of it anyway. Um, And then Grandma dies, and I think that's part of the ritual as well, because of her age, and like also, like, some kind of sacrifice of one of the... Uh, cult members, right? Yeah. So that's why the stuff starts happening after mom dies. But so they, that's like they, the, that's the, the catalyst the that catalyst sets it off. That sets everything off. But they can't fully do the thing until they have the male body, and they have to weaken Peter to get the male body. So they weaken him by like orchestrating this whole thing of him accidentally killing Charlie. And they also release the spirit of Charlie who they've already started working on to cause havoc. And Payman's been in Charlie since she was like, Charlie's never been right. Really a person. He's been in her since she was a baby. Yeah. So where is that information though? It's not it. The, the, the only reason you can kind of understand it is because easily inferred. Watch it. I, 
again, she's different. It's also like inferred by like grandma always like being like doting on her and grandma's, uh, like motivations. Yeah. And like then when at the very end, they actually call him Charlie before they're like, you know, you're now Paymon. Cause like, yeah, Charlie is Paymon. Like right. all the information is there. It's just not something you necessarily would notice on a first watch. Like most Ari Aster films, I feel like. But Midsummer was so good. <laughs> I think this is really good. I would I, put they're this, very, very different, but I, I, I can't put this even on like the same tier as Midsummer. Like this, like other than like, I mean, my, my critiques on the movie might be askewed, but I still just thought it was very boring. I agree with that. I just, I think the stuff is there. It's just not excitingly told. Yeah. And like, it's also like very dripped, like just very like slow drip of the information. And then you kind of like get this huge piece of the puzzle at the end. Yeah. And if you've caught all the drips before, then you're like, oh, okay. So this is, oh, okay. So she was never actually a person. She was like a fucking holding vessel until they got somebody else that is what he really wanted and like all this other weird shit like you finally put it together at the end if you've caught all the all the shit and like were interested enough to actually retain it because it wasn't like it wasn't interestingly told in my opinion yeah so like i don't blame you for like not putting all those pieces together because yeah. they're not obvious pieces. I've seen Hereditary so a ton of times, so it's... Yeah. I've seen a lot of stuff about it before I watched it, so, like, I knew some of this stuff going in, but, like, I just don't think it was told in an interesting way. Like, the the last few minutes are pretty crazy, and, yeah. like, are interesting. And, and it does, like, it does the thing, right? Because, like... It's an anime. Nothing, it's like weird, but not crazy. And then the last five minutes is completely apeshit. Yeah. It's it's Evangelion. It gets to the super interesting part. And then it's like, yo, credits. Yeah. And I was like, but it just got good. It's Berserk if Berserk was just, uh, you know, Griffin and Guts hanging out in the courtyard. (laughs) Until the end. Until the the, uh, bell opens. Yeah. I mean, I find hereditary riveting. I love it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, Clayton. You this talk a, about it. Like, let, let is, me understand because I don't understand. I mean, this currently. type of story is right up my alley. It's very much a slow burn. It's very atmospheric. It's very bleak. I, I, All these things are just things that I really love. It's I, got really great performances. You know, basically, if there's a good female monologue, I'm like, oh, I'm down. Yeah. Um, it's really creepy. Again, in theaters, this was great experience i mean watching the different people around the theater catch on when they saw tony collette creeping up in the ceiling because not everybody noticed that at the same time because it's yeah. very in the background and the you know, theaters are yeah. dark yeah so it's not necessarily as bright as when you would be watching it at home right uh was just wonderful to behold yeah and just everybody's reactions when tony collette's cutting her head off with piano wire and i just think it's a really cool exploration of grief and seeing that on a scale that you don't necessarily see on screen. Yeah. Like you I don't think see Tony people Collette, break down like yeah. Tony Collette did in this. I movie. think Tony Collette not getting an Oscar nomination for this is like one of the biggest travesties. So of, I want to tell you why. 
Because it's a horror movie. Well, two reasons why. <laughs> One, it's a horror movie. And two, she's got two modes in this movie. One is freaking the fuck out, and one is calm. Like I don't think this I don't think this movie shows her range. I mean it shows the range as in it shows the two extremes of it, and that's about it. I think that's I think that's so like I feel like a lot of the characters, the only character that isn't like that is Steve. Because like Steve is mostly poor like completely calm. Gabriel Byrne. Huh? I said poor underutilized Gabriel. Yeah, he's super underutilized, <laughs> yeah. but like I think like probably the best acted scene in the whole movie is when he has had that glass of scotch and he goes and picks up Peter and he stops at that stoplight short because he was doing the exact same thing that Peter did when when Charlie died. Driving under the influence, not paying attention to the road, turns and sees a stoplight, or in Peter's case, a dead animal, sees a stoplight and stops short and just barely doesn't have an accident. Yeah. And and then he, like, does the soft breakdown. And I think that was the best acting in the whole movie. But it's out of the least utilized character in the whole movie. Like... But but that was like the most emotional scene that was not like that was the most like subtle felt emotional scene versus like Tony Collette was just like fucking exploding with emotion of that character. But it wasn't like it wasn't like led up to and you felt it. It was like showing you instead of like making you right. Yeah, I don't know. I just I've never really seen it portrayed in that I way. I haven't either. And, uh, it's really cool. I and mean, it's just it's primal. It is primal. And, uh, and I'm not saying she was she's bad. I love yeah. Tony Collette, and I think she did a great job in those scenes. But I don't think that Ari was there as far as his directing yet to get that mm. to like get to where like that was a fully fleshed out character because I feel like it was so like extreme. Get a lot when of it, she was I mean, extreme. And then like so calm when she was calm. And I don't feel like those two things connected well, but it could have been partially because she was actually mentally ill. The character was supposed to be mentally ill too. I don't think she was. I think it was all the payment stuff. But but in her thing, when she first goes to the group and is talking about her relation, like what happened with her mom, that was a good scene. And the life that she's had and everything, but she's like, you can tell she's holding it at bay, but this is like, oh, this is her life. This is why she is the way mm-hmm. she is. I do think we get a good range from her, but I don't know. Again, this movie is made for me. Sure. It's very creepy, and I love all the actors involved. Uh, Alex Wolf. Did you spot Alex Wolf in Oppenheimer? No. He had a small part in it, and I was like, ah, Alex Wolf. Yeah, I did see him. Spot him by the mole. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I actually had a question for Russell. When you watched it, how loud did you have it? Uh, probably not loud enough. Okay. The sound design is excellent. Yeah, so like, <laughs> this is something that I noticed immediately in this movie, was the sound design and the music. It is very dependent on the music, and I I don't know that that's a strength, especially if you're watching it at home, because like I have surround sound downstairs and I'm literally sitting next to one of the satellite speakers when I watch stuff. Yeah. So like, I definitely get like the, I get a lot of the back end, uh, sound design 
same out of out of stuff because so, I'm like sitting next to the rear rear right speaker, so like stuff that's supposed to be subtle, I get it more. But I kind of like that because like I notice stuff that is you don't normally notice when you watch a movie unless you're like in a theater. Yeah. Um. So like I feel like that also probably hindered your experience of the movie. Cause like if you had watched it in a theater or if you had it like turned way up or had, if we had the surround sound set up down or upstairs. Yeah. Um, I think you might've, it, no, it wouldn't like fix to the movie, but it would have been like a little nudge in the right direction. Right. Yeah. Cause also the fucking, the, those the coming out of really fucking weird places. <laughs> Cause they sound designed those like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Like they're coming out of like left and right and forward and back and stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's and cool. I mean, when Tony yeah. Collette's cutting off her head, I mean, the sound design in that scene is <sighs> that insane. Was great too. Uh, I also, on the performances and like the different things, because we see all like the dad's grieving, we see all the mom's grieving, and how Peter handle, handles it, like after it happens and how he just completely shuts down and drives mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. I think almost one of the most interesting performances that I find, you know, obviously Tony Collette's freaking out, is him just laying in bed, like willing it to go away. Right. It's really understated, it's subtle, and I, I think he does such a good job. Yeah. I think most of the, like I said, I, I liked the acting performances, but I feel like I said, I didn't think Ari was quite where he needed to be for this. Cause like the, I feel like this movie is very subtle and it needed to be extremely deftly directed. And I don't think it was quite there at the time um and i think that's why i didn't enjoy it and i think that's why part of why russell didn't enjoy it i think there's a little bit of writing that would have made both of us enjoy it more writing changes Um, writing changes pacing changes yeah but i mean that's everything you're mentioning i'm just like i love it yeah i know because like (laughs) i know you also that's just a taste thing too yeah. yeah yeah and like i love a good slow burn but it doesn't, I didn't feel like this was giving me anything during the slow parts. Like yeah. I didn't feel like it was giving me anything to, to Latch think about to. or like meditate on like during that, those slow times, like even after the big explosive dinner scene, like it's just kind of like, Oh wow. That would suck to be a part of this family dynamic. Moving okay. On. What's next? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, nothing interesting happens for another 10 minutes. That's how I Sweet. felt. Sweet. So, like, I don't, I don't know. I just really don't understand, and I hate that I don't understand, because this was supposed to be, like, an amazing movie, and I just don't... I don't get it. I feel probably how Nathan f- felt after watching every movie we ever loved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, we're we're basically, like, you know... So, like, I don't know. I might try to watch it again at some point. I also love that you guys watched Ari Aster's films in reverse. Mm. Yeah. That's sort of on accident. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised when we were like, yeah, let's do Bo's Afraid first. And I was like, that's not how we normally do it, but okay. And then we did them in backwards order, and I was like, all right, whatever. That's fine. And then I don't. I feel like I felt his his uh growth as a director through these movies um 
Definitely a writing. Like the writing in this movie, I don't think was as good as the other ones, but like, I can definitely see like, I can see what he was going for. I just didn't think it was interesting. Mm. I think that's, that was my biggest problem with the movie. I I think my other issue is this is literally the same story from paranormal activity one, two and three boiled down to one movie. Oh, really? Yeah, because three is where you find out it's a cult. <laughs> I love paranormal activity three. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, right? Like, Kinda. it's it's almost it's the same to... story. But I mean, that's almost like, it's like you know Rosemary's Baby. It's all like, yeah, they're all kind of the same. Yeah, you can tell the same story differently. Yeah, and it'd be interesting. Yeah. So, like, I I don't know. That's that was inter- That's interesting to think about. But a lot it's of like people... I don't wonder if you like seen those movies and then was like, Oh, I can do that better. Which I mean, he definitely did. I would say this is better than paranormal activity. One, two, three, but yeah, a lot of people did not like this guy. I think a D cinema score when it came out, like people did not like her. I have never heard anyone say anything bad about this movie. It was just like audiences at first. It had a really crazy, like if you look at it now, it's very well regarded. Mm-hmm. But when it came out, audiences, I mean, it's such a downer. Yeah. People don't love that. Um, Maybe that does mean I need to watch it again. I love Hereditary. It cracks me up because before we, when I got home, I was like asking him about it. And he was like, yeah, I tried to watch this like three times. I have. And I like shut it off every time. And then this time I wanted to shut it off. But I couldn't because I had to finish it for the podcast. <laughs> like I went to watch it and I I was watching this and I meant to I meant to smoke while I watched it. And I kept forgetting to because I was just like so engrossed in it and I've seen it however many times. Mm. I like kept forgetting to light a cigarette or smoke some weed. I just like <laughs> and then I was just like, Oh, well, <laughs> it's done. Time to go shower and talk about it. <laughs> huh. I yeah, it's great. Okay. Uh we wanna go to the trivia corner? Yeah, let's get a trivia corner. Welcome to Clayton's trivia corner because Dave's not here. Yep. He's he's watching wrestling. <laughs> Gays are taking over. <laughs> taking everybody's jobs. We're worse than AI. <laughs> so Tony Collette had told her agent that she didn't want to do any more heavy, dark films and just wanted to do comedies. But she loved the hereditary script so much she couldn't turn it down. That script you guys hated. Tony Collette liked it. Huh. So that's neat. That is neat. Tony Collette also has called Ari Aster the most prepared director she has ever worked with. Huh. She praised him for practically having the full movie already shot and edited in his head two years before they started filming. Holy shit. Do they not usually? I would think No. That's, that's weird. Not. That's not you. You like see how it goes. Just like show up to set and see how it goes. That's terrifying. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that's why people are bad at directing. (laughs) Ari wrote detailed biographies and backstories for all of the characters before even writing the screenplay. Solid plan. This was like a horror RPG that he played with himself. Yeah. You should know about playing with yourself. You play RPGs. (laughs) 
To make the chalkboard write on itself, the special effects team put a magnet in the chalk and put a magnet on the other side of the chalkboard to make the chalk move. It was very difficult to get a small magnet inside the chalk and make it, and make it write smoothly. Ironically, the same technique was used in the film version of Matilda, Emily Shapiro, who plays Charlie, starred as Matilda in the Broadway musical. Huh. Interesting parallel. Ari Aster had originally written this film to be a straight-up family drama, dealing with the grief and loss one experiences with the death of close family members, but Aster saw the potential of turning the film into a horror story and rewrote the script to what it is now. Had this remained a family drama, Midsummer would have been his first horror film like he originally intended it to be. I think Midsummer is just a fun breakup movie. <laughs> it is a fun breakup movie. It is. But this it was is only the fourth A24 movie to get a wide release after The Witch in 2015, Free Fire in 2016, and It Comes at Night in 2017. Back when A24 was a little baby studio. Uh, it Comes at Night is the... Like, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, but it's like the uh, virus movie right uh they're like in a like cabin that. yeah and like they like let this other family in yeah something yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah. i okay. have it it's in my video you go watch it i don't want to watch it again it's got uh that guy in it yeah i can't even remember who i try to block that movie out of my mind he was joel um, edgerton yeah joel yeah joel is this the movie that we were trying to figure out what it was forever nope. oh okay. that's one of the ones that kept coming up Okay, so we still don't know what the movie we're trying to... <laughs> yeah, it's probably not even a good movie, but it's basically like a werewolf movie. The movie that I'm try- I've am trying, i been trying to figure out what it is is like a werewolf movie, and the people go to the cabin and are like getting attacked by this werewolf at night, or like some kind of creature, but it's like a... I think it's like a werewolf or something, or like a wendigo or something. But it's not the ritual. It's not this, or uh, it's not a. It comes at night. There's one that's like a, a horror co- black comedy where this uh, is it. Sh- is it the film just Wendigo? I don't think so. I don't know. My co-host could probably help you out. He watches a lot of movies like that. <laughs> yeah, I found like twenty movies that sort of had that plot that were not the one that I was thinking of. So, Tony Collette and Alex Wolf share a birthday, November 1st. Isn't oh, that's that nice? Weird. Mother and son. It's close to my dad's <coughs> birthday. Some spoiler ones. Let's do it. In an interview, Alex Wolf explained that he wanted to actually break his own nose for the scene where his character <laughs> slams his head into a desk. Director Ari Aster respectfully declined that offer and told Wolf they'd give him a soft, cushioned desk for the scene. When it was time for the scene to be shot, Wolf slams his head into the desk, only to discover that the top was foam and the bottom was hard. He dislocated his jaw, which is a previous injury the actor has hard has had for the scene. That's why it looked painful. Huh. Because yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah. One way that Ari Aster pitched the film when he was first talk- taking it out was, it's a story about a long-lived possession ritual told from the perspective of the sacrificial lamb. In the art store parking lot scene, the chalkboard is shown still packaged in Joan's car, showing that she had just purchased just purchased it that day prior to showing Annie the seance. Mm. Steve Newburn and his team built an animatronic puppet of the family's 13-year-old daughter, Charlie, for her decapitation by telephone pole. 
This scene led to the makeup team's biggest challenge in the movie. Originally, the car Charlie rode in was meant to be mounted on a track that would lead it and the animatronic puppet into the telephone pole. But changes meant the effect had to be performed by a fully operational vehicle driving at 60 miles an hour. For the gag, a a collapsible inner skull was built. The skull was meant to mirror the damage created on another Charlie head that was built to represent the aftermath of the accident. Tests were carried out in the makeup shot, assuming a baseball bat to simulate the telephone pole's impact. Even without the planned track guiding the car, the effect went off perfectly. The driver nailed it the first time. Steve also said that it looked fantastic, but they only used a few frames of it. It was a little too disturbing. That's awesome. That's a great shot. Yeah. Yeah. Again, in theaters with a group of people. Oh, my God. Fantastic. This last one, which we covered a little bit, but I just wanted to tell you what Ari said. Anticipating the criticism on why Charlie carelessly ate a nut-filled chocolate cake slice, knowing she's allergic to nuts at the party scene, Ari Aster wrote the film in a way that one can interpret that Charlie is endangering herself because the demon payment is influencing her and trying to get her killed. Despite this, the film still received criticism on why Annie didn't make Charlie bring an EpiPen with her or why Peter wasn't more careful with Charlie at the party. And that's the trivia for Hereditary. I mean, I just kind of chalked that up to Peter being a shitty brother. Yeah. Because he has a shitty mom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like. And a shittier grandma. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At least he won't be shitty to his kids because he's gone. Yeah, he won't have any. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Do kings of hell come? I mean, probably. They're kings of hell. I think the real question is, do the queens of hell come? Hmm. I feel like there's a big non-consent orgy going on (laughs) in hell, right? Like, I believe the term is gang rape, but yeah. Yeah. But maybe it's hell. Maybe they can't ever come. Well, the demons probably can, and the the devils and stuff. And everybody, which... everybody else is like, no, I want to come. And the <laughs> devils are like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> spicy spooch. Just depends which, which myth- mythology you like associate with. Because technically they're also there suffering or through one variation of. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> let's rate this. That's what movie. I want to see. Demons trying to escape hell, not because they live there, but because they also don't want to be there. Watch Supernatural. Um, well, <laughs> yeah, sort of. I don't want to go back to hell. No. <laughs> um, at least the beginning. All right, I'm gonna give it a six. I still think it's pretty mid. Um. I know Clayton tried tried his best to convince us otherwise. Different strokes for different folks. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. But, you know, Russell and I kind of went on and on about why we didn't like it. Um, I I just didn't think it was told interesting. Interestingly, like, I got it. I just didn't care. <laughs> so, six. Russell? Uh, seven. I didn't care enough to get it, but thanks for explaining it to me. (laughs) (laughs) 
right. I I don't know. I just said seven. Um, I was like, I hated it. I'm actually, yeah, I hate this fucking movie. It's a movie though. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I mean, I I honestly don't like have a rating for this. I think this is going to have to like go unrated by me because like, I don't want to give it a seven because I don't know that it's a seven, but like if everything is there and I just like missed it, which could totally be the case because I was having a very hard time paying attention to the movie. Um, then like it could, I could consider it really good, but I don't know. First watch. I'm not like super impressed and I don't, I think I care enough to try to watch it again someday, but that would be the fourth fucking time I've tried to watch this movie. So we'll see. Mm. That's where I'm at. Okay. Clayton. I fucking love this movie. I think it's one of the best, uh, (laughs) best horror films of the past 20 years. Uh, So I'm happily giving this a a 10 stars. 10. Don't make that fuzz. Don't make that face, Russell. I like what I like. No, you like what you like, but I think it's amazing. One of the best movies in the last ten years is twenty. Did you say twenty? I said twenty. Twenty. Yeah, I definitely not. Know I'm gonna made. have to watch it again because I need to argue that it's not one of the best movies made in the last twenty. Years. It's the best movie. It's the best horror films. <laughs> one of the best horror films. I know five horror films that are better than this movie. I would say this is up there with like It Follows and The Witch. I fucking love it. Anyway. Mm. Mm. Strong disagree. You like what you like. Yeah. Not, not really strong. Kind of like a uh, disagree. <laughs> <laughs> a mid disagree. disagree. A disagree. <laughs> anyway, thanks for uh, with us this evening as we went over <laughs> hereditary. You can find us on all your social media, searching Drafty Quarters Productions. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon, uh, searching the same thing. Please uh, subscribe to our $1 tier. We've got some stuff up there that is no longer on our uh, podcast feed, some of the early episodes. We also have stuff that was never on the podcast feed, um, and we are going to continue to put stuff, new stuff on there, or old stuff on there that is getting pushed out. Because we can only have so many episodes up. Um, so thanks for listening. You can email us. DraftyQ at gmail.com We also have our uh, Amazon wish list in the show notes. We want to thank everybody for uh, buying us stuff. Um, we got some more stuff this week. They're going to talk about that on uh, the uh, Smooth Squirrel Show uh, on next Wednesday. So check that out. Uh, thank you guys very much. Have a wonderful time. Oh, Clayton, plug your shit. Oh, gladly. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> totally forgot. So my podcast, men who like men who like movies, we pick a different movie every week and talk about it with cool guests. Uh, at the time this drops, I will have just had a film, <laughs> a film review of Wes Craven's um, I think underappreciated as it should be classic, a shocker, uh, not great, but it's fun to talk about. And uh, coming up after that will be a review of the frighteners, which I have also never seen. 
So I hope that'll be fun. And uh, yeah, you can find us everywhere you get your podcast. The pod's on all the socials. Just search Many Like Many Like Movies if we're there. You'll find us pretty easy. I'm on most of the socials at Just Happy to See You. Number two, letter C, letter U. All right. Thanks for being on. Thank everybody for listening. Have a wonderful time. Goodbye. Don't you ever swear at me, you little shit. Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I am your mother, you understand?